Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you'll be present here as we, as we think about how to improve our spiritual lives. And you know that a number of us have faced challenges with our spirituality as we wrap up this session. Help us to, to make a commitment that we will have a different kind of spirituality, one that is focused on you, one that enables your power to be at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're taking a look at the secret to vibrant spirituality. I'm sure there's more than one, but I'm going to take a look at the secret that made sense to me. I'm going to begin with a personal illustration. I used to be a motorcycle rider. That's not me, but I look something like that. And I rode motorcycle trials. It was a You had obstacle courses, a very unique kind of designed motorcycle with a very um, high-centered engine. And uh, I would go over obstacles, and one day I invited one of my friends to come out and watch me. And I was still pretty new at the sport, so I really didn't know what I was doing. But I, I would, like, go towards a boulder and ramp my, my motorcycle over the boulder, and I would go into uh, tight turns. And the object was, don't put your foot down and don't fall off. <laughs> well, that didn't work too well for me, because I put my foot down all the time, and I fell off a lot. And I... And uh, I remember at the end of the day, we had a final obstacle where I had to go through this muddy section that was just, you, you ride through this mud, it was right next to a lake. And most people were slipping and sliding all over the place. And my particular motorcycle wasn't very powerful, and so when I got into the mud, it just wasn't doing well. So I just revved it as much as I could. And then next thing, I started to slide. And as I was sliding in the mud there, next thing I knew, I was headed towards the lake. And then I just froze. I don't know what happened, but I just shut down. And so I kept going, and I went right into the lake until it was up to here. <laughs> and my friend was on the bank. He was laughing like crazy. And we had to pull the motorcycle out. I'd completely submerged it. We had to turn it upside down for like a week to get all the water out of it. Fortunately, it did start after that. But I remember at the end of the day, he asked me a question, you know, after he'd finished laughing. He said, do you like falling? I said, what do you mean? Well, it's just, you just seem to do it so often. <laughs> but in the Christian life, I often feel like that's a critique that could be made of me. You know, do you like falling? Because you just seem to be doing it all the time. What's wrong with your Christian spirituality? And these are the things I've heard. I can seem to find victory over sins that keep pulling me down. Uh, I just don't have fire that I once had. And I don't even enjoy church anymore. You know, when I go to church, it's just like, oh, do we have to sit through that again? Other people are saying, I feel so burdened and I'm plagued by guilt and remorse. I just can't seem to find peace. I had somebody who wrote uh, an email to me and he says, you know, every day when I wake up, these thoughts rush at me of all the things that I've done wrong and I have no sense of peace. Uh, other people tell me I feel like a cultural adventist. Have you heard of that? You know, you live in Happy Valley and eat veggie burgers. I do all the right things, but sometimes I feel like I'm faking it and it's not real. So something is going on here, and our spiritual lives are not where they need to be. So we want to take a look at some myths about spirituality and see if we can find out what the secret is. Here is the first myth, and that is that spirituality is the same as feelings. Unless you feel close to God, unless you have a conscious sense of His presence, then you don't have a vibrant spirituality. True spirituality is emotional closeness and intimacy with God. So the idea here is, unless you feel it, you don't have it. 
And I've seen people, you know, I've, I've been praying and I, and I play the music and I'm waiting for the feeling. You know the number one culprit of buying into this myth? Of going by your feelings? You know who, who, who was, who's a famous person who really bought into this? Mother Teresa. Many people don't know that she was extremely discouraged in her spiritual life. And it was because she had had this dream where in the dream she had met Jesus. She had had this incredible spiritual high. And then nothing else in her life quite lived up to it. And so she kept trying and she was doing good works and doing different things. But when you read her diary, her journal, she describes a period of incredible darkness and discouragement because nothing else in her life lived up to that spiritual high. If you want to discourage yourself, try and compare all of your life to that one spiritual high that you had when you were incredibly close to God, you felt so close to Him, and make yourself feel discouraged. I mean, imagine if in my marriage I said, you know, my marriage is just not going well. Well, why not? Because there was one moment in my dating relationship when I was on such a high, and, and I've never had that again, so my relationship with my wife is worth nothing. Would that, would that be a good thing to do? No, the problem is when you base your relationship with God on feelings, you're going to have several challenges. A feeling-based spirituality does not work because it depends on these things. It is based on perception rather than on reality. Now, you know what I'm talking about. If any of you had this experience? You were really mad at somebody. I know none of you get mad. Let's just say you were, you were um, anxious about the way they thought about you. And I had that experience where this guy had preached a sermon, and I was convinced that he was preaching against a sermon that I'd preached a week before. I was a young theology student, and so I was just pacing at the back. I was angry. I was, I was frustrated at what he had done. And as soon as you know, people had stopped milling around, I dragged him outside, and I said, Listen, buddy, why did you preach that kind of sermon? You know what I preached last week. He says, I have no idea what you preached last week. I wasn't even here. What are you talking about? And I felt like an idiot then. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, okay. You know? But what had happened, I had all of these anxious feelings based on what? Perception of the way he was relating and reacting. And many times in our devotional walk, our feelings are based on a perception of how God is relating to us. And that perception may be based on how our parents have related to us. It may be based on something that we've misunderstood in Scripture. But whatever the case may be, it's a per perception instead of a reality. And uh, sometimes you can have this in your relationships with the opposite sex. You think that they feel one way towards you. You know, I really think that he's in love with me because he, he looked across the room at me and he smiled. <laughs> It's like, rock. <laughs> that meant nothing. There was a girl behind you. Anyway. <laughs> so, so when you relate to God, and if you're dependent on feelings, it's not going to work. Have you noticed this? Feelings fluctuate with our moods. And uh, for some of us, those moods change once a month. <laughs> For guys, it's more complicated. But, but you discover that you have mood fluctuations. If you don't feed a guy and you make him tired, he's going to be grumpy. <laughs> and so what you have is, is that your moods change, and then sometimes we attribute that to God. So you're having a blue day, and so you have a blue God. You know, it's, it's the sense of, well, if I'm feeling this way, God must not love me. And yet it's your feelings. Feelings are also become a substitute for real change. So as long as I feel good, then I don't have to change. I've noticed this when I had a lot of 
our Pentecostal friends when I was a teenager. And I'd go in and they would be praising God and, and pray up a storm and so close to God and down on their knees. And then they would exit there and they'd go back to their lives as if nothing had happened because the feeling of being close to God was a substitute for actually making change. So we can't depend on spirituality that's based on feelings. Number two, can't depend on feelings. Secondly, we can't depend on facts. True spirituality, some people believe, is about what you believe. And the most spiritual people are those who study the Bible a lot. So how am I going to get more spiritual? I need to become like Peter Gregory. I'm just going to take my Bible out. I'm really going to say, I need to do apologetics like David Asherick. If I could just do that, I would be a spiritual person. But you can't turn spirituality into head or factual knowledge. And so what is the problem with this? It's the problem the Pharisees have. You can be skilled in the knowledge of the law. You can be skilled in the scriptures. Jesus said, you study the scriptures. Because in them you think you'll find eternal life. John 5 verse 39. But he says, the strange thing is, you've missed that they testify of me. So skilled in the knowledge of the law. But, but Jesus, what did he call them? What did he call the Pharisees? Whitewashed tombstones. It's not head knowledge, but heart knowledge that saves you. So you want to do a fascinating study. You look up in the writings of Ellen White everything that has to do with the heart and compares it to what she says about the head. She says those who are involved in, in head knowledge, she says their preaching is as dry as the hills of Gilboa. You know, they've got all the head knowledge. They can nail the law. They can, they can blast uh, a non-Adventist out of the water. But they can't have a genuine relationship with God. That's why we needed 1888. 1888 was for the Adventist church a transition from head knowledge to heart knowledge. So you can't depend on feelings. You can't depend on facts. Myth number three is that spirituality is that what you have to do is fix your behavior. It's about spirituality equaling sinlessness. Now, anyone here who doesn't sin? Okay, I was just waiting for that because if you had raised your hand, I'd say you just lie. But <laughs> what we have is if you think spirituality equals sinlessness, then you, you believe if I can just change my behavior, if I can just learn to stop sinning, then I'll be able to have a great relationship with God. There's only one problem. I can't seem to stop sinning. So just when I fix one thing, another sin tri trips me up. I keep falling. Any of you experienced this? Where you, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix this now. Dear God, I am never going to do that again. And about six hours later, you're in trouble again. And the reason is what we would call the iceberg principle. Now take a look at this iceberg. Is the majority of the iceberg above water or below the water? Below. So I want you to think of this as behavior and character, as actions or the hand, and this is the heart and the rest of the life. So what happens is most people only see what? Your behavior, what's above the waterline. But what's below the waterline is what really counts. It's your character. What do you get to take to heaven, by the way? Your character. That's what's below the waterline. Can other people really see it? No, they can just see the manifestation of it in the behavior. So what we try and do is when we have a problem, oh no, I've got a real problem with swearing. So what we do is we try and change the behavior. I'm going to get rid of swearing. We're trying to change what's on top. But where's the real problem? 
what's in the heart. And so many of us are focused on the wrong area. We're trying to change the behavior instead of dealing with the heart. Now, the reason why we fail, I, I, I began to realize, was because we focus on behavior. I, I want you to imagine baseball. Now, I'm not really a baseball player. I'm a cricket player. But it's too long to describe how cricket is su superior to baseball at this time. <laughs> so I'm going to go with baseball because you'll understand that. A baseball player, when he gets to the mound, can you go there? If you've never played baseball before, let, let's say I'm going to the mound and I'm, you know, I played cricket. I don't know how to play baseball. So I go to the mound and I say, you know what I'm going to do? I, I remembered uh, I, I've got to just follow whatever the baseball player does, the professionals. So I stand. How do, how do they stand? You know, kind of stand there and they, they're going to they're swing at you. So I try and imitate their actions, exactly how they stand. And then I say, throw it at me. And I am then going to hit that ball. If I just stand right and if I just look like them, I'm going to be able, and dress like them, I'm going to be able to hit that ball out of the park, right? No. A baseball player, what's he got to do if he wants to be a successful baseball player? He's got to practice. He's got to live a healthy lifestyle. He's got to exercise. He's, he's got to be there time of time. It's his whole life that leads him to, in the moment, make the right decision. Now, let me tell you that there's a problem with a theology out there called, what would Jesus do? See, because what would Jesus do is based on, in the moment, I'm suddenly going to be able to go, oh, what would Jesus do right now? He would do this, bang, and I do the right thing. But you can't do that in baseball, right? No, what we need to ask instead is, what did Jesus do? What enabled Jesus to withstand the pressure of Satan in the moment? What enabled him to face those battles and in the moment make the right decision? It was his entire lifestyle because it is the overall preparation of mind and body as well as discipline that makes a good athlete. Do you agree? It's your overall preparation. So because uh, an athlete has prepared so well, when he gets to the moment, he can do the right thing because he's practiced it until it is spontaneous. And so if we want to have successful spirituality, we can't simply have in-the-moment performance. We need to have a way of life that is so ingrained that doing the right thing comes naturally. And you begin to look at Jesus' life, and he wasn't focused on behavior. There was something else that made Jesus' spirituality powerful, and it wasn't an in-the-moment experience. So spirituality, I discovered that who you are is more important than what you do. And I, I spent more time on that because this is a, a, a general problem that we have. If we just fix our behavior, we'll be fine. But the Bible shows us that who you are is more important than what you do. And uh, this was really evident to me in one of the Amazing Facts evangelists from years ago. He was a successful evangelist. He preached to thousands. He sold tens of thousands of cassette tapes back then. Uh, that he just he, he had the right behavior, he had the right head knowledge. People felt incredible when they listened to him. It was all of, all of those myths there. But at some stage, he had to deal with what was happening on his heart. And what was happening on his heart was he had homosexual feelings. And because he didn't know how to deal with that, how to grapple with that, now he's running a gay bar in New York. You see, doing the facts... Having the feelings, changing the behavior is not going to fix things. 
We need to have God work with our heart. And all of us struggle with different things. We can't look at those struggling with homosexual feelings and go, oh, they have same-sex attraction. They're headed for hell. Meanwhile, all of us have tendencies in our own hearts to go against what God's will is, right? So we all struggle with that. The question is, can we deal with our spirituality by being real, or are we going to fake it to make it? Last myth here, and this one has become really prevalent. Spirituality is security. See, don't worry about it. People are always coming, you know, I feel so guilty about this or that. And I hear people say, you don't, don't feel guilty. God loves you. God loves you. He, he poured out His life for you. He loves you so much. Even if you sin, He doesn't care about you. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> right? I mean, He does. And, uh, you know, even when I'm bad, though it makes Him sad, He's going to love me anyway, right? The problem with this theology, you know, rejoice in His love and stop feeling so guilty. The problem with this theology is the more comfortable you are, the less likely you are to change. Right. You know, when you're in your comfort zone, oh, well, Jesus just loves me just the way I am. I'm going to sin and then claim grace. Mm. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace. He says it's like going to the, to the market and there are people, you know, with their wares going, yeah, freely available, come get it, come get it, grace available. So whenever you sin, you just go along, you just get a little bit of grace. And it's free, it's cheap. But yet grace isn't, yes, it's free, but it's not cheap because it costs the life of God's own son. A feeling of security does not mean vibrant spirituality. Jesus called the Pharisees blind and foolish because they were secure in their salvation, but they were not part of the kingdom. Even though they felt secure, they felt, we're secure. You're the one who's out there. Because we've got the head knowledge. We're secure. We're children of Abraham. And just because you are a child of God does not mean you have an excuse to sin. So if these don't work, if feelings are not true spirituality, if facts are not true spirituality, if sinlessness is not true spirituality, if having a sense of security is not true spirituality, then what is? What is true spirituality? And uh, I was fascinated. Uh, I, I picked up a book a while ago because I'd been thinking through this, this thought. And then I read this book and I saw a similar concept coming out from what they had uh, been looking at. They, they were frustrated with their lack of spirituality. And this is Eric and Leslie Ludy. And they wrote a book called When God Writes Your Life Story. Now, many of you have read When God Writes Your Love Story because that was what you're really interested in. But they have another great book called When God Writes Your Life Story. And in this book, they take a look at some great Christians and they notice a transition in those Christians' lives. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China, he said, I mourn that I'm so slow to imitate my, uh, my previous master. I, I guess I'm not sure if I should have added in the word previous. Precious. precious. There we go. That's what happens when you're typing too quickly. All right. My precious master. Remind me to correct that. I cannot tell you how I'm buffeted sometimes by temptation. So he says, I never knew how bad a heart I had. Any of you ever reached that experience? I just never knew. How, how could I possibly have done that. And then Hudson Taylor had an experience that transformed his life. He was filled with peace. He was filled with security. He was able to face all kinds of challenges. And he said this, my work was never so plentiful after this experience, so responsible or so difficult as it is now, but the weight and strain I used to feel are what? God. Something happened that caused him to have a remarkably different 
experience. They also looked at Dwight L. Moody, famous evangelist, and he, he, even though he was winning souls and, and things were going well, he says deep down in my heart that he was experiencing a dissatisfaction that had increased to the point of desperation. Have you ever been desperate because you just feel like you're faking it and it's not working? And then notice what happened. He says of an experience later, he had this experience, something changed. And he says, I can only say now that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I even had to ask him to hold back his blessing. Because it, because it was such a change. From desperation to being so filled with God's blessing, he says, I can't handle any more blessings, Lord. Just, just, just hang on, hang on. I, I, I just got to get my breath and then we can try again. Something took place that changed his life. And, and when I read this and I saw what they came up with, I recognized that that was the same experience that I'd had in my own life. And that's what I want to share with you. The secret, according to the Ludis, is simply that there was an exchange. There was an exchange that took place. And here is my definition of spirituality. My secret to spirituality. Real simple. Spirituality is surrender. Now, now, it may not seem profound to you right now, but when you begin to look at how spirituality is surrender, it starts to change everything. But for years, I thought that the Christian battle was a fight. And then I discovered it's a surrender. And then I read in Steps, uh, I think it was Steps to Christ, but it certainly was in Ellen White, that the greatest battle we fight is the battle of surrender. The battle of surrender of self. You know, that's the greatest battle that we have to fight. And so, if, when you get this concept, it changes everything. So, I'm going to take you through Steps to Christ and show you how this concept comes out in Steps to Christ. And I'm going to, to, to take it from the basis of salvation. We know from Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 that you are saved by grace. grace that's the gift of God through faith. So I said, okay, I know what God's part is. His part is what? Grace. My part is faith. So then I've got to figure out what is faith. That's, that's simple enough. And here's what I came up with. Faith is simply trusting God enough to give yourself entirely to Him. That's what it is. I come to, I, I love the F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I take Him. Forsaking all, I take him. That's faith. I am going to give myself. I'm going to surrender myself to Christ. I, desire of ages. Saving faith is a what? Transaction. What is a transaction? An exchange. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to receive something back. So saving faith is a transaction by which those who receive Christ join themselves in covenant relationship with God. And Steps to Christ makes it very clear. You are to give all and you are to... Does anyone know the quote? Receive all or take all. So you're going to give all and you're going to take all. What are you going to give up? Everything. It's, uh, I love the little illustration of the pearl of great price. And uh, there's a little parable told by Ortiz. And when he says, there was a man looking for a pearl of great price. So he finally finds a merchant who's selling one. And he says, I'd like to have that pearl of great price. And the merchant says, all right, sure, but uh, it'll take all, everything you've got. He says, well, okay, I've... He has $67.13. That's all I've got. He says, well, do you have a bank account? Uh, well, well, yes, but, uh, you know, I've only got $600 in the bank account, which some of you students may feel that's quite a lot of money. But, uh, yeah, I've got $600. Well, it'll be all of that, too. Is, is that everything? Yeah, that's everything. 
uh, you have a car out there? What do you mean I have a car out there? Well, that's going to belong to me too. That's ridiculous. What, do you, what else are you looking for? You want me to want to take my house? Oh, you have a house. <laughs> yeah, we'll take the house. That's, that's crazy. Where am I going to live? In my garage? Uh, yeah, we'll take the garage too. <laughs> everything, everything belongs to me. Now, the good news is, I'll give it back to you. But remember, it's always mine. Saving faith is a transaction by which you surrender yourself, your body, your mind, your soul, your attitudes, your actions, your relationships, your possessions. It is a transaction by which you give everything. And that's why this changes us back from false spirituality. Uh, we just read it this morning, I think. Uh, you cannot do what? Change your heart. You cannot change it. You can't say, heart, be good today, because it doesn't work. And make yourself holy. But God promises to do all this for you through Christ. That's grace. Amen? So what do you have to do? You must believe that promise. And then it says you must confess your sins. And this is how faith comes about. You admit that you cannot change your heart. You believe in God's promise. And then you confess your sins. You can see this in the book Steps to Christ. The very way it's laid out. It has these elements. And then it says, what comes next? You are to give yourself to God. That's the surrender. And you must will or choose to serve Him. Just as surely as you do this, God will fulfill His word to you. So notice what happens. I admit it. God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm so sinful. I'm so sorry. But I believe your promise. I, I confess that I am sinful, but I believe that you can change me. And now, Lord, I surrender myself to you. I give myself to you. And I choose to serve you. This simple process is what real spirituality is all about. Just as surely as you do this, God is going to work to make you powerful and effective. So you admit, can't do it. You believe that God can. You confess your sins and you make a decision right now that you decide to follow Him. These simple A, B, C, D is what makes for vibrant spirituality. Every day, we, we talked about it in our prayer session, you pray this prayer. What do you say? Lord, I lay all my plans at your feet. I surrender them to you to be, to be carried out or given up as you direct. I am giving myself to you. I believe that you need to take over my life. In, in the book of the Moody's, before I get to that section, it, uh, they mention what this is like, and I, I love some of the way they say this. What was the exchange that changed Dwight L. Moody and Hudson Taylor's life? This is what they say. They gave up their very lives in exchange for the very life of God. They allowed their bodies to be taken over like a town, surrendering to the invasion of a foreign power. They allowed their being to be possessed by a spirit so holy, so pure, so righteous, that any remnant of selfish sin was burned away in the fire of God's perfect presence. They relinquished complete and total control of their lives to their king for him to dispose of as he saw fit. They invited the most divine guest into the center of their existence and said, Make this humble stable your princely palace, O Holy Lord. Aren't we meant to be temples of the Holy Spirit? They may each made an exchange, an exchange so pronounced that all heaven stood and cheered as these simple men and women took their very first step up the impossible slopes of God's Everest. They exchanged life as they knew it for life as God knew it should be. Do you sense that God is calling you to make a complete surrender? Because if, if you don't, your spirituality is always going to be flawed. It begins 
with this moment of surrender. And, the, and once you do that, once you make the surrender and you believe God's promise that He is going to do this, that's the fact upon which your feelings will follow. It's like a train. You know, the fact pulls the feelings. You believe in the promise and the feelings will follow. So some people say, you know, I prayed and it didn't make any difference. I said, well, did you stop praying? Because if, if, if you keep praying, the feelings will follow. I, I was mentioning in one of my seminars that I had an experience for three months where I prayed and I felt like my, my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. But at last, the feelings of God's presence did follow. It took three months. But you've got to believe in the fact. And what happens with most of us is, is that when you claim God's promise, you just wait a few hours and the feeling of God's presence will follow. So if you're not feeling it right away, you just wait. The feeling will follow the fact. Put away the suspicion, however, that God's promises are not meant for you. Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. You know, what I've gone through... I mean, I've, I have messed up. I mean, I don't know what you call the unpardonable sin, but I'm, I'm in the nth degree of it. And listen to this. How many? None are so sinful that they cannot find strength, purity, and righteousness in Jesus who died for them. Can you say amen? And Jesus says that's not the case. So how do you know? How do you know if you are really Christ? How are you going to know? On what basis are you going to be able to know that you have made the surrender? Uh, there's a story of a man in the Civil War who, he was afraid that, uh, you know, I'm just not sure what I should do here because, you know, what if I get caught on the wrong side? So he decided that he was going to wear both blue and brown. Or gray, sorry. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, you can tell. I must have written that in a, in a frenzy. So he's going to wear both blue and gray, the two different sides. Was that, yeah, do I have my Civil War right? Blue and gray. Thank you, honey. You can tell I wasn't uh, brought up on American history. All right. I know about Shark of the Zulu, but we won't get into that. So he had blue and gray. And so he decided, I'm just going to wear one color on the top and one color on the bottom. And that way I can be on either side, you know, just in case. So then he goes out to war and guess what happens? He's shot by both sides. Yeah. It does not work well. So what you have is when you come to this position, you can't take half-hearted steps. You know, I want to have some of the world, and I, I still want to keep my relationship, even though it's not exactly what it should be with this girl or with this guy. But I want to have God and Him. doesn't work. I, you know, I want to be a successful, wealthy person, but I also want to give money to the church and be a good guy and that kind of thing. No, it doesn't work. You have to make an entire surrender. So how are you going to know if you have made the surrender? In the book Steps to Christ, it tells us how we can know which side we're on. Number one, the question is asked, who has the heart? That's how you can know. Where is my heart? Imagine my wife coming to me and says, honey, do I have your heart? Well, you know, I, the good news is 80% of it. <laughs> yeah, that would be a recipe for sleeping in the garage. <laughs> With whom are the thoughts? Who do you love to think about? With whom are the thoughts? Of who do you love to converse? Any of you ever had a friend who, like, was in love? Oh, you know what happened? They can't talk about anything. Oh, he's just so cute. And, and then, the, and then the, the guy says, she's, wow. You know, she just walks into the room. And I just, you know, is, I, I wonder, is there a phone around here that I could just call? I, and, you know, text message. They just can't stop talking about that person. If you ever had a friend in love, you know that that's the one topic of their conversation. They can talk about nothing else. All right, so that's a test. 
if you made the surrender. Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? Is it Christ or is it the world? So, what are we supposed to do? You make this decision, you surrender, what comes next? Now that you've given yourself to Jesus, Steps to Christ says, there's some things you need to do. Number one, do not. So you give yourself and surrender and then you have buyer's regret. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you bought that new computer and then as you walked out, you went, should I really have spent $1,000 on that? Well, when you come to Christ, don't draw back. Don't have buyer's regret. Do not take yourself away from Him. In other words, you can believe His promise, but there's a part where you can, you can lose the surrender moment by drawing back, by drawing back, and by drawing away. But day by day, say, what are you going to say? I am Christ. That's surrender again. I am Christ. I have given myself to Him. And then you ask Him to give you His Spirit and keep you by His grace. So your part is to say, Lord, I surrender to You. I am Christ. Fill me up and then keep me by Your grace. As you grow in faith, notice what will happen. Christ will change the heart. He abides in your heart by faith. What you are to do is to maintain this connection with Christ by what? Faith. And what is faith? Belief that results in? Surrender. Thank you. Belief that results in surrender. And the continual surrender of your will to Him. So you believe and you surrender. And as long as you do this, notice what will happen. He may work. He will work, thank you, in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. The reason why we have such messed up lives is because we do not surrender ourselves to God on a continual basis. That is the secret to the Christian experience. Remember, the devils also believe and tremble. So it's not just belief. It must be belief that results in surrender. What is faith? Where there's not only a belief in God's Word, but also, notice how these connect with surrender. A, what's that key word? Submission. We hate that word submission because it means I have to give up what I really want. But this is what it is. I am going to submit myself to Him. Where the heart is what? Yielded to God and the affections are? fixed upon Him. So I yield myself. I say, God, I love you. I'm fixing my affections upon you. I, I'm wanting you to work in me. I don't just believe in you. I surrender myself to you. There is faith. She says, faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Salvation is by grace through faith. What is faith? Faith is not only belief, but surrender. And that's what changes everything. And this is what's helped me with my up and down spiritual experience. Because I read this quote, changed my life. The child cannot, by any anxiety or power of its own, add to its stature. You can't make yourself grow. I've known shorter kids that try that. My, my kids the other day said, Daddy, I'm going to go sleep. And they're, they're quite tall, but they want to grow anyway. They said, Daddy, I'm going to go sleep, and then I'll grow. Because I'm going to grow in my sleep. So they force themselves to go to sleep so they can grow. But it doesn't work that way. Although we kind of liked it. But... <laughs> <laughs> No more can you, by anxiety or effort of yourself, secure spiritual growth. What? Did you read that? You can secure spiritual growth by effort. Is that what it says? Wow. Been doing it the wrong way the whole time. <laughs> Apart from Him, you have how much life? No life. You have no power to resist temptation or to grow in grace and holiness. Only by abiding in Him you may flourish. Right? That's the only way. Unless you abide in Christ, there's no way that you can flourish. So your, path, your part in the faith process is surrender. Now notice, it, it's, it's just real clear here. Step to Christ, page 69 now. I've covered about three chapters here. You are not to look to yourself. 
Not to look to yourself. Not to let the mind dwell upon self, but to look instead to who? Christ. Let the mind dwell upon His love, upon the beauty, the perfection of His character. So your devotion should be about Christ instead of about what a messed up person I am. It is by loving Him, copying Him, depending wholly upon Him that you are to be transformed into His likeness. If you want to know the secret, it is by surrendering to Christ, beholding Christ, spending your time looking at Christ. Now notice the opposite to this. So one is behold Christ. That's the secret. Now, notice the opposite. When the mind dwells upon self, it is what? Turned away from Christ. It's like Christ is here, self is here. In order to face self, what do I have to do? Turn my back on Christ, the source of strength and life. Hence, notice the devil's tactic. It is Satan's constant effort to keep the attention diverted from the Savior and thus prevent the union and communion of the soul with Christ. Because that's the secret. As I surrender, I have communion with Christ. So what do I do? She mentions four ways in which we can let the mind dwell upon self. Now notice Satan's strategy is to keep our mind off Christ. Four things he does to keep our mind off Christ. Page 71 of Steps to Christ. Number one, the pleasures of the world. That's how we keep our mind from Christ. When I start thinking about how pleasurable the world is, mind is off Christ. Number two, life's cares and perplexities. Have any of you experienced this? (laughs) Yeah, they just take our mind away from Christ. All of the challenges we face. The faults of others. Man alive, I'm, I may not be the best Christian, but I sure am better than her. Number four, your own faults and imperfections. Oh Lord, I'm so discouraged. Look at me. I'm so messed up. I'm just, I'm just a failure. That's all I am. Mind is off Christ. Now my wife... Gabe, sorry if you need to take a picture there. <laughs> my wife uh, told this illustration, but we're going to practice it. Okay, so I need, I need a victim. I'm already a victim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're going to balance this on your finger, and we have a, a low... S- on, on your finger, just like this. We're going to make it more difficult. Oh, okay. You can use two <laughs> fingers if you, if you want, but maybe, maybe one finger would be better because she may be too good with two fingers. All right, notice what a good job she's doing. Give her a hand. Woo! All right, she is balancing the broom on her fingers, but now we're going to tell her to look at her hand. Look at your hand, look at your hand, look at your hand, look at your hand. (laughs) All right, you can't do it. I've never had anybody, there was one kid who was real close, um, but I've never had anybody manage to balance the broom by looking at their hand. And And of course, it's quite simple. When you look at yourself, your life is out of balance. But when you look to Christ, your life is in balance. The secret to spiritual life is to surrender to Christ, to look to Him, and not to look to yourself or to look to others or the cares and pleasures of this world. We're going to do another little illustration here. On the next slide, there are going to be eight cards. You never knew that uh, we play cards here, but this is a different kind of one. So there's eight cards. I want you to choose one and to memorize it. Okay, did you choose one? All right, now on the next slide, the card which you chose will be turned face down. All right, let's do it again. Eight more cards. Again, choose one and memorize it. Choose a card. All right, on the next slide, the card you choose will be turned face down. All right, yes, the secret is that when I changed slides, I changed every single card. (laughs) So now, why did you not pick up on it? Those of you who, who were looking at it, why did you not pick up on it? Because it was where your focus was. When your focus 
when your focus is just on the card that you picked, you see, you, you kind of went, okay, I'm going to choose the eight of clubs. That's where your focus is. You ignore the rest. And then when it changes, you go, oh, eight of clubs is missing. And so you think, it's gone. And, and how did I do that? But you didn't look at the rest of the cards, except for the guy at the back who has the big picture. <laughs> All right. So here's what I found was the secret, where my focus was. Where my focus was. We should not make self the center, this is what we read earlier, and indulge anxiety and fear as to whether we should be saved. All this turns the soul away from the source of our strength. Now notice the surrender here. Commit the keeping of your soul to God. You notice that surrender? And trust in Him. That's the surrender. Talk and think of who? Jesus. Let self be lost in Him. Put away all doubt. Dismiss your fears. Isn't this powerful? I mean, the steps of Christ. Where, where, did, where was this book all these years? Why was I struggling when right here it was saying, well, I know I struggled because the first time I read Steps to Christ it took me like three months. I wasn't used to the English and the language. But now I go back how incredible it is. So what we've learned is faith is trust and surrender. Faith is a transaction where I give myself to God, right? Amen? And faith puts the focus on Christ instead of ourselves. The secret to vibrant spirituality is to have Jesus at the center. When you put him at the center, when you make him the focus, when you just decide, Father, I, I'm not going to do it my own way. I surrender myself. May Jesus do for me that which I cannot do by myself. Then you have power. Let's pray. Father God, some of us here have struggled with surrender. There's something holding us back. I, I remember in my own journey, Lord, I... I had pride in my accomplishments. And, and Lord, I had, to, I had to get rid of some of those favorite papers that I had that told me how good I was in order to say, you are everything and I'm nothing. Well, there's, there's somebody here struggling with an area in their life that they, they don't want to let go of. Oh God, help them to make that surrender. Right now, may their words be, Father, I surrender all. And then, Lord, put away our doubts and our fears, our anxiety as to whether we are saved. And give us the peace and confidence that you who have begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Oh, Father, thank you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.